We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. This morning, we are honored to have our son, Philip, his wife, Michelle. Michelle, would you stand so everybody can see you? Turn around and give them that Miss America wave. Michelle and Philip are the senior pastors of Fossil Creek, Fossil Creek Community Church in Fort Worth, Texas, doing a great job there in a growing and a thriving church in a great community. Michelle actually was raised in the Ukraine. She is a, a daughter of missionaries, and just they both have a heart for missions and the things of God. So, Philip, I could tell so many stories this morning, but I'm going to stop right there. If you want some Philip stories, see me later. He had a very eventful childhood and a very colorful life. So lots of stories associated with Philip. Come, son, and uh, bring God's word to us this morning. Would you please make him feel welcome? Thank you. Well, thank you, Dad and Yvonne. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks for great worship time, for, for welcoming Michelle and I and our two boys, Tyler and Mason. They're eight. And six, about to turn seven here in just a couple weeks. Mason's going to turn seven. Thanks for inviting us. As, as my dad mentioned, I pastor a church in Fort Worth, Texas. And over the past year, we've been kind of, actually the past two years now, we've been kind of shifting our focus. And we've said that our desire is to be a missional community, a community that is focused on serving God and laying down our sacrifices, whatever it takes, and then trusting God for the miracles in the midst of our sacrifices. I can tell you that when we made that shift, when I met with our leadership team and we started having a conversation about what it meant to sacrifice and then trust God for the miracle, it changed the way that our church functioned. It changed the way that we looked at one another. It changed the way that we spoke to one another. It changed the way that our board meetings went. It changed the way that our staff meetings went. It changed the way that everything functioned around our community. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is how you can get out of a stuck position and into a position where God has called you to be today. I don't know about you, but there have been moments in my life where I felt completely stuck. Where I felt like no matter what I did, no matter how good I was, no matter how many of the commandments I followed, it seemed like my feet were stuck in mud and I just couldn't progress. I came across a podcast a couple years ago. It's a podcast that talked about the Bible's unlikely evangelists. Those that even the disciples didn't think should be evangelists. The first one they talked about, it comes out of Mark chapter 5. You guys may know the story. In Mark chapter 5, there's a story of a man, and, and if you haven't heard the story, let me just give you the abbreviated version, but you can go and look it up later. There's a story of a man who was demon-possessed, but he was so demon-possessed and so demonized by Satan's army that when, when the villagers would come to him, when the people of, of the, his area would come to him and begin to talk to him, all he could do was just gnash and, and, and cry out, and he'd rip his clothes, and he'd, he'd throw these terrible tantrums, and they didn't know what to do with them, so they pushed him in to the graves and they locked him up and they said he has to stay there there's no controlling him that was their modus operandi for taking care of him until one day jesus crossed the water and came to that side of the lake and when jesus showed up something shifted inside of that man's head something shifted inside of his heart and he went from being stuck in the tombs to getting unstuck and going where god had called him to go what I want you to know this morning is that he's probably one of the most unlikely evangelists. In fact, as Jesus wrapped up his time where he healed the man, released him from the demons, and, and you may know the story, Jesus pushed the demons into a bunch of pigs and they ran off into the water. I'm sure it didn't make that pig farmer very happy, but it made sure it made the man real happy. As he wrapped up his time of ministry, there was a moment 
where the man looked to Jesus and he says, Jesus, take me with you. Take me with you. Because the man said, something shifted inside of me. Something changed when I came into contact with this man called Jesus. This God put in flesh form. Something changed in my life. But do you remember what Jesus told him? Jesus told him, go home. Can you imagine what a deflating feeling that must have felt like for that man? Here he had discovered the one who came for the world. He had discovered the king of all glory. And the king tells him, go home. There was some intentionality in that because I know that as the man went back home, he started telling the story over and over and over again about a man who came from the other side of the lake, who told him to get the demons out of him, who cast the demons out of him, and then his life changed. That man became an unlikely disciple, an unlikely evangelist. The second story, I'm not going to spend much time on it, but it comes out of John chapter 4. John chapter 4, there's a story of a woman. A woman who who shows up to the watering well at a time of day when no one else will be there, when no other women would be there, so that she didn't have to deal with their gossiping and their smack talk that would go on around her. She shows up and, and she encounters Jesus. We'll read the passage here near the end of my time with you today. She encounters Jesus and at the end of her time, she goes into her town and just begins evangelizing, telling everyone about the God who got her unstuck, who brought out of a situation where she found herself, found herself, and where you may find yourself today. See, I think that the stories are included in the Gospels because they teach us about a God who said he came for the Jewish person. But a byproduct of his ministry was he set people free like you and me. People who weren't born to the right family, people who weren't born with the right things in their lives, people who perhaps when the disciples looked at them, in fact, in, in the John chapter 4 section, we're going to get to it in a little while, in the John chapter 4 section, the, the disciples even wondered, why is Jesus even talking to this woman? She was an undesirable. She wasn't someone that should have been honored by Jesus' presence, and yet he changed her life on that day. This morning, I want to take you to the end of the Bible. A lot of times when I talk to people, I tell them, I said, I've read to the end of the book and I figured out the ending. And the ending is God wins. Amen. That's the ending. There may be a lot of problems today. There may be a lot of problems next week. There may be some for the next few years. But I can tell you this, at the end of the story, God wins. So this morning, if you will, turn to Revelation chapter 22. It's the last chapter of the last book. And we see Jesus revealing a vision to his beloved disciple, to John. John at this point is in a deserted island that serves as his prison. Thinking that the, the Romans thought this would be the, the ultimate thing, they could lock John up and they would keep him away from everything, they would keep his message quiet. But instead, in the Isle of Patmos, on the moment when, when the, the government was trying to shut John up, in that moment, John got the greatest revelation of heaven that has ever been revealed. Jesus showed John the ultimate end, a new heaven and a new earth, free from the corruption of the sin that you and I find ourselves in. What I want you to know this morning is that Jesus' ultimate victory is an invitation into a justified life and into eternal communion. If you don't hear anything else I say today, let me tell you this, that God loves you and he chose for you to be here this morning so that you can know that he does love you and he wants you in relationship with him. He invites you into communion. Now, communion is not just a handshake. Communion is a walking together. It's a saying we are partners as we go forward. We being the junior partners and him being the senior partner, we are partners with Jesus as we walk forward with him. 
Revelation chapter 22, verse 16 says this. This is Jesus speaking through John. John reveals it. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. First thing what I want to talk to you about is sometimes we are stuck by our own limitations. We're stuck by what we think we can do. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, when Jesus says that he is the, he is, he proclaims himself, he says, I, Jesus, am speaking to you. This is very interesting because there's only two times in our New Testament where Jesus identifies himself from heaven, that it's him who's speaking. The other one occurs in Acts chapter 9 when Jesus knocks Paul off of his donkey. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Meaning Jesus. And then there's Revelation chapter 22, 16, where he reveals it to his beloved disciple. He says, I'm the root and I'm the offspring of David. I try to imagine often as I read the Bible, I try to imagine what it would have meant to the one who penned the words. What must this have meant to John as he, he sat in a prison cell, not really a prison cell, but a deserted island that served as his prison cell. What would, must it have meant like when Jesus spoke to him and he said, I, Jesus, am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. I think that something came alive inside of John in this moment. I think that a desire to, to change, a desire to do great things, a desire to push even further came alive inside of John when he heard Jesus say, I, Jesus, have sent my angel. What Jesus says is he's the root and he's the offspring. He's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and he's the omega. I don't know if you understand this, but, but let me break it down for you here really quickly. For Jesus to be the root and the offspring means that he's the beginning of the tree and the byproduct of the tree. Amen. He's the beginning of the promise, meaning there was nothing that you have done that he didn't anticipate you doing. And he's the one that's going to forgive you at the end. He's the root and he's the fruit. He's the beginning of your problem. He's the end of your problem. He's the beginning of your life and he'll be there at the end of your life. Church, I want you to understand this morning that God has not abandoned you. He didn't look away from you. You're not stuck because Jesus said you got to be stuck. You're stuck because in your mind you built your own limitations. You said, I can't go where God has called me to go. I can't do what God has called me to do. But in doing so, we have forgotten that he's the root and he's the offspring of the promises of God. He's the truth that we are all looking for. See, church, I think if we begin to understand that, that God's promise is yes for yesterday, it's for today, and for tomorrow. If we understand that when God promises things, He doesn't go back on them, He sticks with them, then we begin to have a boldness that wells up inside of us. The Holy Spirit gets down in our guts and starts to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And we start to feel like something's not quite right, and we got to do something to have a shift inside of our lives. There's a boldness that comes from knowing who you're in relationship with. There's a boldness that comes by trusting God. See, when you understand whose child you are, you understand that nothing can stop you as you move forward. A couple of years ago, I was on my way to Thailand. I was going to do a short-term mission trip. I was flying by myself. I was meeting my father-in-law there in Thailand, Michelle's dad in Thailand. I hadn't booked my own ticket. The ticket was booked for me, and I took a route that I wasn't used to. Uh, they flew me through China, and then I was going to come down into, into Bangkok, and then on up to Chiang Rai, where my trip was headed to. My flight landed in, in China, in Beijing, China. 
I got off the plane, and when I got off the plane, there was a man standing there. Now, this was just a connecting flight, and I had figured it out. I had about 45 minutes to get from my plane to the next plane to continue on with my trip. There was a man standing there with a sign, and it had my name and two other American people's names on it. Seeing my name, I know what I'm supposed to do as a traveler. I walk up to the man, and I said, I'm Philip Dow. What do I need to do? And the man looked at me, and he kept looking at me. So I thought, well, maybe he didn't hear me. So I said it again. I'm Philip Dow. What do I need to do? It was at that point that I realized the man speaks zero English. Not even a couple words of English. So I, I did what every American does when we travel abroad. I slowed down even more and I talked even louder. I said, I'm Philip Dow. What do I need to do? By that time, the two other people, it was two college girls, their names are also on the sign, they came up, they didn't speak any Chinese, he didn't speak any English. Through our broken communication, we finally figured out that our, our flight, our next flight had been changed a little bit, and he was trying to get us on to the next flight. So he communicated with us, he said, I need your, I need your passports. I don't know how he communicated, but we figured out he needed our passports, so we pulled our passports out and we handed it to him, he had three American passports. What happened next still shocks me to this day. He flipped up in our passports, pulled out his cell phone and took a picture of each one of them. Then he put his cell phone in his pocket and he said, be right back. And he took off. Telling the story to you now, I now realize there's probably a Philip Dow that's running around China today. My identity is probably long gone. Some little man living in Beijing by the name Philip Dow now. We sat down, he told us to wait. We sat down and we waited and I looked at my watch and I watched the minutes tick away. I had 45 minutes to be on the next flight, and time just kept getting shorter and shorter and shorter. The man kept not coming back. The two college girls were getting nervous. I didn't know them before this moment, so I turned to them and I said, I travel quite a bit. Come with me. I'll take you through. So we, we took our stuff and we just started walking through the middle of Beijing Airport, not knowing where to go. We end up at a spot where there's, there's passport control, where once you cross this line, you're now in China and you're subject to all the laws of China. You get to passport control and I'm looking at it and I go and find a, a, a worker, a passport worker, and I tell him, I said, here's what I'm trying to get to. I showed him my ticket. There was a problem with my ticket. They didn't understand. They told me to sit down and wait. And I sat down and I waited for about five minutes. Then I decided I couldn't wait anymore. My 45 minutes had now gone to 20 minutes. And I know that if you're not on the plane within 10 minutes of it taking off, they take off without you. So I grabbed those two girls and I said, get your passports out. We're going through the line. And they said, well, what if they stop us? And I said, well, here's the awesome thing, girls. I said, we hold American passports. And when we walk up to the line, they're going to either help us or they're going to give us a lot of trouble. But one of the things I know is our State Department is not going to let us get arrested. Our State Department is not going to let us get thrown in jail. So we're going to push and we're going to figure it out. And we're going to try to make it. So I walked up to the first one, first passport officer I saw and I handed my passport. I showed him my ticket and she looked at me and she said something in Chinese and I shook my head and I said, okay, thank you. And I grabbed my passport and I just kept walking. And she started screaming, no, 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 no. And I said, bye, 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 bye. And I kept walking. Another security officer stopped me. I knew what he wanted, but instead I pulled out my passport, I pulled out my ticket, I gave them both to him. He looked at him, he said something in Chinese. I said, thank you, I grabbed my stuff and I started walking again. Eventually I was surrounded by about seven passport control immigration officers around me. The two girls were now, you know, hundreds of feet behind me, I had pushed my way through. Finally they bring a man who is a captain, 
And he began to speak to me in English. And he said, your ticket's not valid. They were supposed to get you a new ticket. And I said, I waited. My plane leaves in now 15 minutes. I, I can't wait anymore. He looked at my ticket. He said, I'll take care of you. He walked me back. We grabbed the two girls. I said, come with us. We walked together back into a little hallway. And then I got scared to death because he opened a door into another darkened hallway that had stairs going down. And I said, this is it. This is the end of Philip Dow. I'm executed in, in Beijing, China because I refused to follow the immigration laws. This is it. This is the end. He put me through security, made me take off my watch, made me do all that, take off my belt, do everything. Pushes me through security. He puts me down into this stairway. And as we go down into the stairway, finally at the bottom of this narrow hallway, it opens up and there's our gate. And I can see the spot that I had been waiting on. Now let me tell you something. The only reason I was bold enough to keep pushing was because of that little blue booklet that I carry in my pocket. Because I knew who, hold, who had my back if I got myself in trouble. So Christians, I want you to understand, you've been living your life like someone who has to just sit and obey, but I'm telling you there's moments where you got to push a little bit because God wants you unstuck, and you're not going to get unstuck until you make some movements. Amen. Take some steps and see what God will do when you start to show up. Amen. See, the truth is that the Old Testament and the New Testament were all bringing the Jewish people to a moment when the Messiah would come. And yet when the Messiah, would, when the Messiah did come, they were so stuck in their beliefs and so stuck in what they thought he was going to look like that they missed Jesus completely. The truth is there are people who would rather be stuck in their comfort, stuck in their own limitations than doing the things that God had called them to do. Ever since 2,000 years ago, Jesus has been calling out to every person on this earth, inviting them into the path of salvation. And yet we get stuck inside of our minds because we think that God can only forgive so much. We think oh, God can only forgive the little sins, but he's not able to forgive the big sins. We say, well, I'll come to church when I get things cleaned up in my life. I'll give my life to Jesus once I stop with that addiction that I have. I'll turn everything over to Jesus once I make things right with my family. I'll, I'll trust Jesus once everything is looking right, and then Jesus will be happy with me. But I'm telling you, as if that's your plan is to wait on God, wait on yourself to get right with God before you go to God, you're going to be missing out for a long time. Amen. Getting stuck does not mean that we keep doing what we're doing. It means we trust Jesus and we move forward because he's the root and the fruit. Amen. He's the beginning of your promise and he's the end of your promise. Go to the next verse, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. Jesus continues to speak. He says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. John is, is very appropriate and mindful as he writes these words. He wants us to know that God is not inviting us into just following him, but he's inviting us into a relationship. That Jesus is the one who's calling us to come. And Jesus works through flawed people like you and me called the church. And we as the church invite people and we say, come. Experience the life-changing power of Christ. So we run into ourselves and we say, well, who has been called 
to come. And I think it's very clear from what John says. Those who are thirsty are called to come. Those who have a deficiency in their souls are called to come. Those who have a gaping wound of pain that is never healed are called to come. Those that think they're not worthy to come, they're called to come. Those that think they all have it all figured out, they're called to come. They're called to submit. This is one of the paradoxes of Christianity. That in order for us to get unstuck, we have to take our hands off of the wheel and trust that Jesus is in charge. I'd love to tell you I figured out how it works, but I haven't. There's still moments where I fight it and, and I try to make it happen. I try to get myself out of neutral and going in the right direction. But I can tell you, usually it doesn't work. And it never works when it comes to my Christian walk. Until I learn to listen to Jesus and to follow him, I miss out on what he's saying. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in neutral today. Maybe you feel like there is no answer other than just staying where you're at. Several years ago, my, my wife, Michelle, it was when we were first married. We took a ministry job straight out of college. She had trouble finding a, a teaching position immediately, so we were living on, on a little bit of income with a lot of big dreams. So she had a car. It was a Dodge Neon, 2003 Dodge Neon, I think was the was the car that it was, one of those stick shift ones, the kind of car that I wouldn't wish on my, my worst enemy. I worked on that car all the time. We were so poor that I would, I would go into my garage, and I don't know anything about cars. I didn't get that gene from, from my dad. But I would go into my garage, and I would sit there with duct tape and with electrical wire, and I would try to figure out how to keep this car running for just a little while longer. There was a time where Michelle called me from her school that she was teaching at. She called me and she said, the car is broke. And I said, the car can't be broke because we're broke. Doesn't work that way. She said, the car is broke. I said, what's the problem? She said, it, it was a stick shift. She said, it won't go into reverse. I said, okay, we'll figure it out. You know, let me figure out how to get there. She worked it out. She was able to, to figure out over, over a period of about a month, she would park on a hill to make sure that she could roll backwards <laughs> to get out of her parking spot and then get going the way she needed to. That worked for a little while until not only reverse stopped working, but then first gear stopped working. So we practiced and we figured out you can start a standard transmission in second gear. You can do it. I promise. Living proof. That worked for a little while until second gear started having trouble too. I can remember the one time she called me from her school and she had parked in a, in a parking spot. It wasn't going into any gear at all. She called me. She said, I'm stuck. And I was out of town. I said, I'm not able to get there. You know, I can call some friends. I can figure out who can get there for you. She called me back a little while later and she said, I figured it out. I said, what'd you do? She said, I propped the door open and I stuck my foot out and I just pushed on the ground. <laughs> she Fred Flintstone that car out of, a, out of a parking space. See, she figured out how to get out of neutral. She figured out how to keep moving. See, we often think of ourselves as in one of, of three positions when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. We think we're either moving forward with him, we think we're moving backward without him, or we think we're sitting in neutral, just waiting on the next thing to happen. But what I want to tell you is that if you're sitting in neutral, you're stuck and you're actually sliding away from God. There is no neutral in Christianity. You're either moving forward with God or you're moving away from God. There is no neutral when it comes to Christianity. I want you to know that we've been invited into a relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship that costs us our devotion and our decisions over our lives, and yet its dividends are extremely high. See, Jesus loves us, and yet he 
chooses to allow us to choose whether to love him. He loves us so deeply that he died on a cross for you and for me. But he honors us in this way that he doesn't force us into relationship. He asks us to join him in relationship. I told you I was going to get to John chapter 4, and I'm, I'm going to wrap up here fairly quickly. So let me get to John chapter 4. It's a long passage, but I just want to, I want to read it to you and see what happens to this woman, the unlikely evangelist. We'll pick it up in John chapter 4, verse 4, and we'll go through verse 30. Now he, meaning Jesus, had gone through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep hum coming here to draw water. Now let me pause you for just a second. We'll pick it back up in a second. I want you to hear what she says here. She says, give me this water. Now Jesus has promised her eternal life. He's promised her, uh, eternal, he's promised her all this awesome stuff. Yet what's her reason for wanting it? She says, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. What does she do? She slid right back into her preconceived notion. I don't want to run into the other women at the well. It's shameful. They say things about me behind my back. They gossip about me. They talk about all the things that I've done wrong in my life. So Jesus, if you have water, that means I never have to come back here again. This place of pain, this place of sorrow. If you have that kind of water, that's the water I want. See, she missed what Jesus was saying. Let's pick it up again. Jesus now responds to her. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have now, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming where you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come that the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So she hears these words and she says, Now I want to be unstuck not only from my shame, but I want to be unstuck from the traditions that have happened. But she still hasn't caught what Jesus has been saying to her. She's willing to give up her shame. She's willing to give up her traditions, but she's not willing to give up her own ideas about how God can save us and how God can redeem us. So Jesus tries it again, verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus, I think that this is one of those moments where Jesus just gets fed up. 
Verse 26, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? This is where she finally gets it. Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. This is a woman who should not have been chosen as an evangelist. She had made grave moral choices in her life. She had allowed shame to overtake who God had created her to be. She had allowed traditions to cloud her eyes from the God who was standing directly in front of her, asking for a drink of water. What I want you to know this morning is that Jesus is going to speak to your direct need when we start praying here in just a second. I don't know what your need is. I don't know what you've been praying for, but it feels like God doesn't answer anymore and you're just stuck in neutral. I don't know what God's been talking to you about, but I know this. My God answers prayers. My God does miracles. And when we submit to him and allow our submission in partnership with his miracles work, amazing things happen. Musicians, if you'll come up and, and take your place this morning. See, the truth is that when you encounter something good, you have a tendency to tell other people about it. When you encounter something you like, you're always going to tell someone else. A few months ago, I was in the lobby of our church, and there was a little girl walking around in one of those big flowy dresses, and she was spinning in circles, letting everyone see her pretty dress. One of our older ladies walked up to her. She told her, she said, little girl, your dress is, is so pretty. It's the prettiest thing on earth. The little girl beamed, she smiled, and she looked up at the woman, and she said, my mom bought it at Target. She can buy you one, too, if you want one. <laughs> when you find something good, you tell people about it. We got a new barbecue restaurant just down the street from our church. It opened a few years ago, but I can tell you that for the first three months of that restaurant being open, I think I worked it into every single sermon for three months straight. Every person in our church knew the name of Rudy's Barbecue because I loved that place and I would find a way to talk about it. I was the best advertiser they had and they weren't paying me a dime. When you find something good, you tell people about it. We came here to Tallahassee and I looked around at all the trees that are in this place. So many trees that you can't even find the places you're looking for. I come from Texas. And in Texas, if you want to go north, you look where the sun is and you go just this way of the sun. I got to Tallahassee, I look at all the trees and I thought, why on earth don't they clear cut this place so you can actually see where you're going? That's right. I hear you have a mall. I think it's a myth. I don't think it exists. It's hidden behind trees. I heard there's a Walmart too, at least one, but I haven't seen it yet. Yet if I love trees, I would be the best ambassador for Tallahassee that has ever lived. Because when you find something good, you tell people about it. If you've truly experienced the life-changing power of Christ, our only response is to tell someone about it. Our only response is to tell the good news of what God has done in our lives, the subject of truth partnered with the object of truth. When I first came to Fossil Creek, I came as a, as a children's pastor there 11 years ago. On the Sunday that we were to come in and meet with the pastor, he had told us, just come in and blend in with the congregation, meet everyone, you know, get, to, get a feel for the, for the group. Michelle and I walked in, 
we sat there in the lobby just trying to meet people, and we got cornered by a man who held us for about, I think it was probably about 25 or 30 minutes. He held us there captive, telling us that we needed to ask Jesus into our hearts. I didn't have the heart to tell him that I was a Bible college student. I held a, a Bachelor of, of Science in Bible study. Like, I can, I can parse the Greek, and I can look at the Hebrew. I didn't have the heart to tell him. So I just kept telling him, yeah, Jesus can change your life. Yeah, man, Jesus. He stood there for 45 minutes, and he did not let us go until we prayed the sinner's prayer with him. After we prayed the sinner's prayer, he went and found the pastor, and he said, Pastor, I just led two people to Christ here in the lobby. The pastor saw who it was, and he smiled, and he said, Good, I'm sure they need Jesus in their lives. <laughs> when you find something good, you can't help but tell other people about it. Will you stand with me this morning? I think we as Christians often think of Jesus as an addition to our lives instead of as the center of our lives. We think of Jesus as a good way to get out of the shame. We think of Jesus as a good way to get out of our tradition. But we don't think of Jesus as the one who changes our lives and calls us forward. This morning in, in our prayer time, the musicians are going to play here in just a minute. And I'll invite your pastors and your leaders, your leadership team here at the church to come and pray. But if you're here today and you feel stuck... You've been praying for the same thing over and over again. You've been praying a prayer and you said, I'm sick of praying that prayer. I want the next prayer. I want the next thing to happen. I'm sick of waiting on God. I want God to show up today. If that's you today, I'm telling you the Holy Spirit is here, is active, and is waiting on you. You simply have to make a move. To get unstuck, you got to take a step. Now, you can choose to stay in your chair. That's perfectly okay. I won't even judge you for it because you know what? Maybe you're not ready to get unstuck yet. But if you're ready to get unstuck, I'm going to pray in just a minute. And you're welcome to just come forward and find you a spot up here. And then your pastors are going to come. Your leaders will come and they'll lay hands on you. And we're going to pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would invade your life. Maybe you need Jesus for the first time. Maybe you need Jesus for the hundredth time. Maybe you've been praying for a miracle. And the miracle seems just as far today as it was yesterday. Today's your day to get unstuck. Today's your day to stop wishing that you could be like someone else and live the life that God has called you to. Now I'm going to bow my head and I'm going to pray and I'm not even going to look at who's coming forward. It's up to you. If you want to get unstuck, when I start praying, you just come up here and you find you a spot. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for the goodness that you have shown in our lives. God, I pray for those that are in the position today where they find themselves stuck and waiting for an answer. God, we feel as though our feet have been planted in the murkiest, darkest mud possible. And we just want to know, are you there? God, I pray that you would break not only our shame, break not only our traditions, but God, break through to the very core of our personalities, to the very core of our being. And Jesus, let us put you at the center. Let us not replace you with other things, but let us choose only you today. God, I pray for those that are gathered here that they will become the greatest unlikely evangelists that Tallahassee, Florida has ever known.
God, that every spot they ran into, they would tell the story of God's miracles in their life. Every, every life that you're touching today, I pray that you would show up in such a way, God, that we walk out of this room changed and marked by the Holy Spirit. Let us not walk out the same people we were when we walk in, but let us walk out as, as, as burden carriers of the gospel. I pray for great missions hearts in this room. God, I believe that you're calling people even right now, before we even lay hands on anyone, you're calling people right now to go and to take that next step in their ministries. God, you're calling someone to go to, to a hard place on the other side of the world. You're calling someone to lift up their head and to say, God is bigger than the mountain that's in front of me. God, I pray for those that are facing health concerns right now. We know that you're a God who heals. Your word tells us that by your stripes we're healed, so we're going to depend on your healing today. We submit ourselves and wait for your miracle. Lord Jesus, we pray for miracles upon miracles and testimonies today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Start crying out to God right now as our musicians lead us in a song. Let's cry out to God. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.